afternoon, everyone. Well, if you weren't warm when you got in here, you're certainly warm now. I love your worship. It's uh, great to be up here and worship with you. Uh, many faces I know, uh, many faces I don't. So if you don't know me, my name's Andrew Agaback, and uh, I'm an elder in the London Church, and uh, serve along with my wife Rhoda. And uh, it's great to have my teen daughters here. Great to see great teen and student ministry here in Birmingham. Uh, I need to be praying for my daughter. She's applying for university places. She's uh, waiting to hear from Birmingham. So. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. She has an offer from Manchester, which would be awesome as well, but uh, it would be amazing for her to be here. And uh, it's being here in the snow and beauty and <laughs> staying with the, uh, with the Flemings just outside the campus uh, definitely gave her a little bit more vision for, uh, for Birmingham. So you never know what the Lord is going to do. So, amen, pray and uh, see, see, what, see what God will do. Uh, it's a great privilege to be with you. Uh, thank you to the Flemings and the Shepherding Group for inviting me to uh, come up and uh, uh, commend the brave brothers and sisters who fought through the snow yesterday to come and hear Rhoda and me and uh, uh, our daughters share about parenting. And it's a privilege to be with you today and to be able to uh, share some convictions from the words and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the Bible. And if you could turn with me in, in the, your Bibles to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 14. We're going to talk a little bit about 2020 vision. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there may be a few others uh, like myself of a certain age. And uh, there comes that point when um, your, your wife or perhaps your husband suggests to you that a visit to the opticians might be a good thing. And uh, everybody in my family, apart from my son, has uh, been to the opticians and got glasses for one reason or another. Oh, not Isabel, okay. Um, uh, most of my family have gone to, the, gone to the, the opticians and got glasses over the last few years. And I was resolutely uh, determined that I did not need glasses, you know, it was not, not, not necessary. And uh, eventually I was persuaded to go and I had my eyes tested and the doctor said, yes, you've got some astigmatism and, you know, not for every day, not all the time, but from time to time, for long distance, maybe for driving, go to the theatre, whatever. I was like, okay, I'll get a pair of glasses. But in my heart of hearts, I was still not convinced. Then the glasses came back and uh, I, I went down to the opticians to collect them. I put them on. I looked across the street at a sign the other side of the street. I said, oh, wow. <laughs> There's this moment of revelation, you know. I suddenly realized what I had been missing. And, uh, you know, there's a big difference between that intellectual understanding that my eyesight may not be perfect and then the actual real realization that, that wow, I've been missing out on something. And I think we all need that from time to time in our Christian lives. You know, the Bible is like a mirror. We hold it up and occasionally, you know, when our hearts are soft or when the message is right, it, it, it opens up our eyes and we suddenly get 2020 vision. You know, we suddenly understand that there's been something that we've been missing. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll find something helpful in the book of Joshua today that will be a moment like that to open up your eyes. So let's read together in Joshua chapter 14, verses, uh, verses 6 to 10. I can get back in my gadget here. Joshua chapter 14, and um, we're going to read from verse 6. 
Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel wandered about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourselves heard then that the Anakites were there, their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, gave him Hebron as an inheritance. And we'll, uh, we'll stop there. You know, we love this passage. It's a great passage. Uh, lots of young men are called named Caleb just because of this passage, you know. Because those of us are parents, you know, we want our kids to not grow up, not only grow up and become Christians, but grow up and be faithful, you know, on into old age. And, and uh, you know, we have this vision of the next generation. You know, it was great uh, to have the London congregation's 30th anniversary celebration just a few months ago and celebrate 30 years in the, the church. I know that, you know, Birmingham has got great milestones. Uh, I can remember coming up and visiting the church here in Birmingham back in, I think it's 87 or 88 or, I don't know, very early on. And maybe it was the first or second anniversary or something like that. And it's great to have vision to pass things on to the next generation and mark those anniversaries. But very often we use this passage to commend people who are old and fired up. And I think that's, that's a great use of the passage. And if you're 80 or 85 and fired up, then, you know, I'm fired up for you and I, I commend you in the Lord. But interestingly, I don't think that's the most relevant application of the passage. I think it's an accurate application of the passage, but I don't think it's the most relevant application of the passage. I think the most relevant application of the passage is, if you want to be fired up when you're 85, then you better be fired up when you're 40. Because that's what he's saying. You know, that's what he's saying. I was fired up then, you know, I took a stand according to my convictions, and, you know, I'm still fired up now. And I think those of us who are more about the 40, you know, 45 age, and indeed those who are younger, and I speak to those, you know, down here amongst the teens and students, that's the conviction we need to have, is if I want to be a fired up 85-year-old brother or sister, I better make sure I am uh, fired up now as a younger person. And 40 is young, right? My, my definition of old uh, keeps moving on, you know, my definition of old is always at least five years older than I am now. But um, the the point is that, that, amen, (laughs) 
I won't, I won't name any specific numbers. It'll just get me into trouble. But um, the point is, you've got to have conviction now if you want to be a man or woman of conviction later on. So point one is take a look at your convictions, you know working on our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight. Take a look at your convictions. You know, Caleb says here, I brought back a report according to my convictions, but the brothers who went up with me made the people's heart melt with fear. It's interesting, what's, what's a conviction? You know, I, we used to think of convictions as a, a strong passion, you know, when we're fired up about something, you think, wow, there's someone with conviction. I think... What Caleb says suggests a slightly different definition of conviction. What he says, what he implies is, a conviction is something that is revealed when the people around you don't have it. You know, it's quite easy actually to be fired up when everybody else is fired up. But that's not necessarily strong conviction. Strong conviction is revealed when other people are not as fired up as you are, um, and then you have to make a decision about, well, what do I really believe? You know, a sobering moment for me was about 10 years ago, when, as a, you know, certainly in London, you know, there was a big upheaval in the church, and we went from a period of time when we'd had a lot of accountability about what you do as a Christian, you know, have you had a prayer time today, have you had a Bible study time today, have you given your contribution, to a, a period of time in the church when there was no accountability whatsoever. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that was a good thing. There was some reasons for ch- change was needed. I think some accountability is a good and healthy thing. But uh, having no accountability at all actually was quite revealing. Because there are a number of people who had appeared to be fired up, but in the absence of accountability, suddenly their true convictions were revealed, which was not very much. And even in my own life, you know, it was quite interesting how some things I stopped doing because nobody was asking me about them, good things, and other things I continue to do. So I've, I've always been someone who loves to read, love reading the Bible, and I continued to passionately read my Bible. I'd always been convicted about the importance of giving financially generously, and I continue to give financially generously. But interestingly, in my prayer life, uh, I, my prayer life you know, really took a hit about that time. And it was very revealing to me, you know, why is it that I'm not going out to pray as passionately? And I, you know, initially thought, well, I don't want to do it out of obligation. I don't want to do it out of compulsion. I want it to spring from the heart and be sincere. And I think there was a, there was a logic to that. That's a, you know, it's good to want to do things sincerely from the heart. But then, you know, months had gone by and I hadn't really changed. You know, I hadn't really come up with that heart and that passion. And, and really for a lot of the last 10 years, my, my prayer times, I, I got I pray every day, you know, pretty much, but, but often it was short, it was brief, it was going, on the, on to the, going to the tube, coming back from the tube, you know, just as I went, as opposed to really dedicating a sincere, passionate time to, to pray. And I don't know if you've had, that, had experiences like that when you thought, wow, my convictions were not as deep as I thought they really were. And uh, you know, my wife, my daughter, and my my, ch- my children are very convicting to me in this. You know, Isabel, uh, last year, you know, she used to be a Christian. What coming up for two years now? Yeah, Valentine's Day uh, will be a second second anniversary. And just seeing her, you know, get up early in the morning, pray. There's a period early on this this year when she was reaching out to her friend Evelyn. And Isabel would uh, have a Skype prayer time uh, every every morning with her. Isabel would get up at five something, five thirty, five, you know, 
It's dark, very dark. It's a, st- it's a time of day I'm not familiar with, let's put it that way. And she would have her own quiet time first, so that she could feel ready spiritually to then have a quiet, another quiet time with her friend. I thought, man, you know, I'm so far from having that kind of conviction. And it's been, it's been very encouraging to me to, to, to make, you know, uh, steps towards repenting in that area and really building stronger convictions. You know, Ella has been on at me about another area of discipline, which is just getting a little bit fitter. Again, you reach a certain stage in life and, uh, you know, that begins to become a, uh, an area of, of, of need to focus on and uh, Ella's been on to me about my physical fitness as well as my spiritual fitness and on the 19th of November I decided okay I've got to get out make some new habits and I've been going out walking every day very occasionally running or cycling and uh, that's been a consistent pattern since then and it's been really encouraging to have both spiritual and physical training happening and getting more consistent in that area of my life now but how are your convictions you know, are there important areas of your Christian life that you've been lacking in? You kind of muddy along with everybody else, but the conviction is not really there. You know, if we want to be strong and faithful when we're 85, you've got to have these convictions, not just when other people ask, but it's got to be from the inside. You've got to make it happen. You know, think about uh, reaching out. You know, there's a period of time about a year ago when, um, you know, we... we we were just talking about you know, who's studying the Bible with who. I think it was a leaders meeting. And I realized, actually, it's been months since I studied the Bible with someone. Literally months. I thought, I just feel a bit out of it. You know, and I realized that it, when I'm not actively reaching out, when I'm not actively studying the Bible with someone, not only is it it's just not good because we have a mission as disciples to seek and save the lost, but it just, I don't feel on the edge. I don't feel fired up. I don't feel as excited if I'm not actively studying the Bible with someone, reaching out to someone. And it's been so refreshing since then to have a conviction. Look, I always want to be reaching out to someone. And I want to have someone I'm building a friendship with, someone I'm opening the Bible up with, someone I'm talking with. Right now, I'm really enjoying uh, reaching out to a friend of Ella's. Ella's a head girl at her school, and uh, she reached out to the head boy, Kenya. And he's been coming along to church, he's been studying the Bible, and uh, he's studied five or six times, and it's just, it feels just great to be reaching out to this you know, great-hearted young man who wants to do great things, and if he surrenders his life to God, he'll do great things for God, as well as great things you know, in, in the world. Also reaching out to the husband of uh, one of the disciples in the London church, her husband's... Uh, um, uh, works in the banking world. He's uh, you know far, smart, successful professional, strong, militant atheist. But he's open to seeking. He said, "Okay, I, and I, as an atheist, I've got to have integrity and admit, um, you know, I can't prove that God doesn't exist. I need to look into this and be sincere in seeking, you know, and come to uh, true convictions." And I said, "Wow, I respect your conviction, your integrity, your intellectual openness. Now we need to get beyond that intellectual openness and get into your heart and talk about your life and your marriage." and sin and who Jesus is and it's been great to study with him it just just lifts my heart just lifts my life you know when I'm sharing my faith with people it just makes me you know full of the joy of life you know leadership you know again many of us have you know the church is a body right there are many different parts not everyone's called into leadership but I know that I have some talents to be able to lead. If I don't actually do something, I don't feel as fulfilled. I don't feel as alive. I don't feel as, you know, like God is using me as he might like to use me. And, uh, you know, there can be times when 
you know, we, we have talents and gifts and opportunities to lead and we hold back. And I believe that, that God wants us to have life to the full. And uh, not everyone needs to be a leader, but if you have a gift or a calling or an opportunity to serve and you hold back, I think it, it just grieves our spirit a little bit. And sometimes we can have hurts and wounds and issues that uh, make it hard for us to have the willingness to, to lead again. And I just want to encourage you that, that you know, to, to try and work through those things. You know, we all get hurt, we all get, you know... Uh, bumps from time to time in our spiritual life. We have our highs, we have our lows, and and God wants to bind us up and strengthen us and, and have the courage to go out again. You know, Rhoda and I uh, became Christians in our student years. A great time to become disciples in your student years. And um, my father's Danish. Um, I don't speak any Danish. I don't really have any strong Scandinavian connection apart from at one point in my life having had a Danish passport. But at that time, that was good enough to get onto the Copenhagen mission team and uh, so, uh, so you look a bit Scandinavian, you know, come on, come on the mission team to, to Scandinavia. So I was sent out in a blaze of glory on a mission team to go to Copenhagen via, via Stockholm. And then we spent some time in Stockholm and actually I had a really rough year. It was our first year of marriage and, and we had, uh, and I had some struggles. I was, had some struggles with impure thoughts, with criticalness, with this and that. And actually it ended up being quite a discouraging time for a lot of that year. And we came back to London with our sort of tail between our legs and felt a bit discouraged and down and thought, you know, man, that was, you know, that was, that was a disaster. That was a bit of a mess, you know. And, and um, we're so grateful to the Partingtons and the Blows and other people who put their arms around us and built us up and encouraged us. And, and then a couple of years later, we went off uh, to lead the Oxford mission team. And uh, again, we were sent out in a blaze of glory and, you know, that was awesome. And, and then we served four years at Oxford and, but, and we never quite got to critical mass, you know. The church was like three and then six and then 10 and I think maybe 15 or something 16 at one point we never quite got to to critical mass and then the decision was made you know why don't you come back to London again and uh, you know we'll, we'll bind you up and encourage you and strengthen you and and, and you know it, it's painful to try things and fail you know to fall flat in your face and, and sometimes our hu- very human reaction is well I won't do that again you know that was a mistake I'm not going to do that I'm just going to get hurt but the Bible is full of the stories of leaders who failed and yet who lifted themselves up again. You look at Moses, you know, Moses tried to lead his people heroically and they said, you know, are you going to try and, you know, there was this issue with him having murdered someone, you know, it's a bit of, it's a, bit of a bit of a black mark on your, on your, uh, on your uh, CV, you know. Um, Abra- Abraham lied, you know, Abraham, you know, wasn't prepared to stand up for being a married man, you know, David committed adultery and murder, you know, all of the leaders in the Bible, other than Jesus, are, you know, spectacular failures at some point in another, and actually, if we're humble, God can use those failures to make us relatable, connectable to people, and, and and, uh, and also gently remind us that us leaders are not all that, right? That uh, God uses us, but it's, it's, it's him who's actually leading us. We just need to have the willingness to be reconciled to each other and to have the faith to continue to be served again. You know, parenting, having the conviction to help your son or daughter build great spiritual relationships. You know, especially around the sort of preteen teenagers, you know, 12 to 14. We talked a little bit with the parents yesterday. You know, sometimes you can be in a situation where your teen's part of the church 
church, you're a young, young man or woman is part of the church, but doesn't really bond and connect with another, you know, another person who is a great spiritual influence in their life. And, you know, peer pressure is such a powerful effect in our, t- in our young people's lives. You know, it can be a powerful negative effect or a very powerful positive effect. I love being at teen camp and seeing many of you guys at teen camp and, you know, the wonderful positive social pressure of, hey, this is awesome, I want to be part of this group. But sometimes teens hang out with the wrong crowd and it's a very very powerful negative pressure and the Bible says he who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fools suffers harm so I think as a parent I want to challenge you to have the conviction help your children develop great spiritual relationships with other spiritually minded young men and women so that they can grow wise and grow strong you know we see here that ultimately Caleb was abundantly blessed in his life because he held strongly to those convictions and then God blessed him again and again and again because of his wholehearted obedience. You know, what are your convictions? Where are you wobbly? Is there an area where you need to dig deeper, build those strong foundations so you can be fired up at 85? And if 85 is too far ahead to think, I know it's a long way ahead for you, those of you younger here, but maybe to be fired up at 25 or at 35 might might be a good interim goal to be, uh, to be aiming for. Point two, take a look at your administration. Administration, you say? Where is that in Joshua 14? <clears throat> well, interestingly, the context of the passage, if you just look back at verses 1 and 2 and so on, is actually they're getting together to divide up the land. You know, they've conquered most of the territory and they're thinking about, you know, how do we make the division of property, as it were, um, in order to, you know, administratively organize the people of Israel into the, the various tribes and to assign different parts of land to different people. And there's also the small matter of completing the conquest of the, some of the Canaanites and others who are still occupying some portions of the land. So it wasn't a wholly administrative decision. But it was also, it was partly an administrative decision. And I think, you know, it's been very exciting for me to see the UK ministries, the churches across the UK, become more unified from a ministry perspective over the last five or six years. You know, there was that time ten or so years ago where it was sort of to your houses, O Israel. You know, every church with its own little, own little family, and we said, we don't, we're not really sure about anybody else, but, uh, you know, as for me and my household, you will do our best to serve the Lord. And, you know, that was kind of a sort of... What needed to happen at that time just to stay healthy and survive, as it were. But over, over the last 10 years, trust has been rebuilt and relationship connections have been rebuilt. And it's been so encouraging to see how uh, Andy Fleming and Mohan have worked together and collaborated with other staff and leadership groups around the UK and Irish churches to come up with this 2020 plan. And that's, you know, that's obviously part of why I titled the message 2020 Vision. Is It's great to be part of a movement where we have a vision for how we want the church to be, you know, in 2020. And the idea of sending out seven new plantings, seven strengthenings to, you know, places like Oxford, where Rhoda and I went and poured out our hearts for four years. And, it, you know, it grieves me to know there's not a church of strong disciples at the moment. It would mean so much to me to, to, to that there could be a planting again. And to know that, you know, God willing, this, this year, in September, October, there will be a planting sent out to, uh, to Oxford really, really fires me up. You know, the idea of appointing, 
you know, ministry staff to support the church in Leicester, you know, and to support and encourage the Midlands, you know, wider family of churches is something I'm excited about and encouraged about. You know, that's really, really fantastic. Um, but, you know, it's... You know, if I, my, my professional life, I'm a management consultant. I work with really large organizations and help advise them on how to organize their IT. And uh, some of these companies spend a billion, two billion dollars a year on IT, like really, really enormous organizations. And, and they have big discussions about how we should organize our IT and should it be centralized or should it be decentralized. And, and you know, there is no simple answer to these questions, but, which is why they have to pay my company a lot of money to, uh, to get good advice. <laughs> but there is a core principle, which is that the administration, the support functions like IT and human resources and finance and so on, should follow how the business itself is organized. There's no point in trying to have a global IT function if actually the way the business really works is lots of little pockets of little businesses. And I think likewise in the ministry, now that we're getting more organized as a ministry to have a UK-wide plan for how we're going to do ministry, it's appropriate to have a UK-wide plan about how we're going to do administration. And I think in particular, you know, how we deploy our resources, our money and our people is basically the key resources we have in the kingdom. We don't have big IT systems or other other assets. And so I know that you know, you've, you've all heard about the proposals to integrate, to join together the Midlands charity with ICCM, which is the charity that most of the rest of the UK congregations go under. And, and uh, you know, it was so encouraging to meet with Brian and, and uh, with Andy Tolbert and Marilyn yesterday as the two boards of trustees to talk more about that. And I think, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're of a common mind about where that's going to go. And, I, and there'll be, you know, further announcements and discussion from, from the, the Midlands trustees, uh, you know, when they're ready to, to announce their plans. But I, I just great relationally to talk to them and to have a meeting of minds and to have the confidence that we're trying to move in the same direction as a ministry for the UK. And, uh, you know, I think there is a logic that says rather than have many different groups of trustees coming up with HR policies and trust and, uh, you know, maternity policy and salary models and protection policies, you know, why have these, you know, busy people do that four different times, five different times across the UK? Why not do it once? And why not have... Um the day-to-day administration of finances and HR and events and IT and phone contracts, you know, done many different times. Why not do it once on behalf of the churches as a, as a whole? And, you know, some of the small churches don't have the resources to do that well. Some, some larger congregations like Birmingham clearly can do it separately, um, but I think there's some, some economies of scale and some benefits of, of doing it uh, together and will be more efficient that way. You know, I can remember when I was in the Oxford church, there was always a little bit of a concern that, you know, the big blob in London, you know, would take over the universe. And our, our little needs, you know, in Oxford wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be taken care of. And the honest truth is there was some times when that happened. You know, I think it is easy a little bit in London to, to, to be a little bit London-centric in our view of the world. And that's one of the reasons why the ICCM Board of Trustees has made sure that we want to have uh, someone like uh, Ian Tootle, who's up in Edinburgh, 
Edinburgh on the board. You know, if the Midlands, you know, decided they wanted to be part, uh, I've made the offer to Andy and to an- the two Andys. Everyone's an Andy in this conversation. Um, you know, that we would, we would love to and welcome having, you know, uh, someone from the Midlands churches, you know, for example, from Birmingham, uh, on the, the common board in order to make sure we have that relational connection and we manage the, the trustees, the, the trust as a whole, uh, with, with the, the, the needs and, and desires and hearts of all of the UK churches in mind and that it wouldn't be London taking over. You know, I think it's understandable to have concerns like, you know, does this, if we did this, does that mean we'd lose the Flemings? You know, London might post them and take them away. Now, I'll be very honest with you, right? I'd love to nick them. <laughs> you know, I think back at the time when the Flemings came through London and said, would you like to employ us? I think, how did we let them go? What were we thinking? You know? And, um, but actually, you know, Andy and I were talking about this this morning. You know, I, I believe it was God's plan to bring the Flemings here. You know, I think it was great. You know, it, it, was, it was good that the UK is not centered too much around London, that you have fired up, experienced, you know, ministry leaders in places like Birmingham to evangelize the whole of the UK, that we have a leadership, you know, team now where Andy, you know, oversees the Midlands and the North and, and, and Mohan, the rest. And, and it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a balance. It, it feels, you know, a more balanced way of, of working. Now, I think it's important that you know that you don't own the Flemings, yeah? They could decide tomorrow to go on the, I don't know, Kazakhstan mission team or something. And actually, they don't own you. It's not their church. You know, churches don't belong to evangelists and evangelists don't belong to churches, right? However, you know, there's no cunning plan to nick the Flemings or move anybody around. But I, I don't want to make promises because actually in seven years' time in 2020, it would be a surprise to me if every single UK staff person was in exactly the same church then as they are now. So we need to be secure that the spirit is moving, it blows wherever it pleases, different people may end up in different places, but a transaction like this, if we decided to join the congregations together, has no intention, there are no plans you know, specifically to move anybody anywhere, anytime, and actually I think the, the current leadership model is working really, really well. I hope it continues to work that well for, uh, for many years to come. So if you have other questions about you know, this you know, the, these plans and proposals, please do feel free to speak to me. Obviously, speak to uh, your own trustees here in the Midlands. Speak to Andy and Tammy themselves. Uh, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. Um, and uh, we really feel fired up about working in trust, in relationship, to make sure that we get to the, the best possible model administratively to support the, the mission that we all have as disciples. Thirdly and finally, final point, take a look at your vigor for battle. You know, Caleb says here, I'm still as vigorous to go out to battle as I was when I was 40 years old. Isn't that a great word? Vigorous. You know, it just sounds fired up, you know. Someone who's vigorous is, you know, they've, they've shaken off the cobwebs, you know. They've, they've gotten fit. They've gotten excited. My son Toby this morning was trying to do a push-up. Um, and he failed spectacularly, you know. Little, little kids, you know, don't quite have the... Uh, 
the rigor, and I'm afraid we were laughing at him. It's a very, very bad idea, you know, but he just looked slightly comical trying to, to, to do a push-up. And um, so I said, you know, I used to be able to do a push-up and clap in between push-ups. And my daughters, you should have seen the expression on their face. They were like, really? I bet you can't still do that. So I felt, uh, I felt obliged to prove that I still could. And I was relieved to find I can. I, I only managed three, you know, but I, I can still do three push-ups and clap in between. But, you know, it's good to have vigor. It's good not to lose our energy. It's good not to lose our spiritual convictions, as we talked about in point one. And I just wanted to, to close by encouraging you to have that vigor, you know, to go out to battle. You know, we have different battles as disciples. We have the battle of winning souls, you know, the war against Satan in the fight for the souls of the lost. We have the battle to overcome sin. You know, whether you've been a disciple for a day, a month, a year, uh, a decade or, or more, you know, whether you're seeking God and fighting to break through the sins that hold you fast or the questions that you have, the obstacles that you have to become a Christian, you know, we all have battles we need to face and we need to decide, I believe, to be vigorous for battle. And, you know, I think just having that vision, that dream, that determination to, to fight the good fight, you know, to overcome the battles, not to get stuck in the snow and in the, uh, you know, the, the disappointments, the discouragements, you know, just to have that vigor for battle. You know, to, to lift up your eyes like Caleb and say, I'm going to go into that hill country. I'm going to go into the difficult places. You know, I'm going to, to conquer my enemies. You know, maybe it is to go on a mission team as we send out plantings and we strengthen plantings. And I think that's a noble thing to do. Maybe, though, it's just being fruitful uh, where you are. You know, reaching out to your work colleagues. It's one thing I want to do. You know, I've been fruitful, studied the Bible with lots of people, but I've never actually converted one of my work colleagues. It would mean so much to me to help the people I spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day with. You know, to, God's put me there for a reason. It's not just to help people be a little bit more efficient with their IT. You know, God wants me to help these people become Christians. Maybe it's helping a fellow student, a neighbor, a family member. Maybe it's having a real breakthrough in deciding to overcome something in your life or to take on a servant role, a leadership role that you feel God's been calling to. I want to commend you, encourage you, urge you to decide to be like Caleb and to take a look at your vigor for battle and to live that way. So we've talked about three things today. Taking a look at your convictions, taking a look at your administration, taking a look at your vigor for battle. I hope you found something encouraging there about the spirit of Caleb, whether you're 15, 25, 45 or 85, that is helpful to you today. Thanks for having me up and uh, it's great joy to be with you as a family. Amen.